Thank you for the reading of God's Word, and it's been so great uh, to have you all here with us who are able to be um, in-house together. And for those of you who are watching uh, at home, and um, I'm just thinking, uh, I have, can I, can I just be honest with you? I have a little bit of an addiction. A hush settles over the, I love sugar in many, many, oh boy, many, many forms. And one of the things that, one of the things that I will do is uh, I will, if, if I've got something that is really rich, I'll eat the, the stuff around the edge and save the best for the, you know, the middle. And as I do that, you know, one of my kids would come along and say, hey, Dad, can I have some of that? And you just ate all the crust, you know, out away, and, and they ate it on you. I, I, you know, I try and save the best to last, and, and we're doing that uh, this day as we're talking about heaven. Now, we've been talking about a lot of things about heaven and hell and, and those things that are related to that. And I just want to say to you, um, what I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have a Zoom gathering tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. You can go online and find out where and what. And uh, you can bring your questions or, you know, we'll just get together, who, whoever wants to be with us. And uh, we'll, we'll enjoy uh, a, a good time. And hopefully we'll be able to talk about some things that are pertinent for you that we haven't talked in in some of the messages, but we'll, we'll do that. But we save the best till last um, in terms of uh, heaven and hell. So uh, we, we've been waiting for this. We've slogged through the terrible, disastrous depiction of hell and all that it was. I, uh, normally when I, when I leave on Sundays from the church, I call my dad and I say, Dad, how are you doing? And and uh, he'll make comments on the service or something like that. He said, well, he said, uh, I was left with one thing coming out of that message on hell. I said, what was that, Dad? He said, I don't want to be there. <laughs> and uh, thank God, none of us has to be there. And uh, it's, it's when we live that life without regard for God, um, and we want to move from that terrible, terrible time uh, to this desirable, desirable, hopeful, stunningly beautiful depiction of heaven for us. Um, but for some people, heaven doesn't look actually very attractive to them. Uh, for some people, they imagine these uh, caricatures of little, uh, uh, little uh, angelic beings, little chubby uh, cherubs with strumming harps and had little wings and they float around and, and for some people that looks more like hell than it does heaven. Um, some of you, some of you have, have seen depicted uh, heaven as floating on a cloud all in white and eating cream cheese, right? Uh, and if you don't like cream cheese that could look a little more like hell to you. But uh, I assure you, that stuff is not what heaven is about. And if heaven is this desired destination, then what is it really like? What is, what is it about heaven? So for us to understand this, we really, I think, have to go back to the very beginning of the Bible, right back to the start of Genesis. 
um, to understand God and why he created and how he created and what his purpose was in. And, and if we're going to make sense of this, I think we need to start at the very beginning. And so what I want to say to you is the Bible is this, this grand, big story that, that, uh, that take, takes us through the sweep of creation and right on through. And, um, and it's in really four movements. So when we think of this big, uh, big story of God, this grand narrative, uh, we think of uh, the creation. Uh, the creation. And then we think about the fall of humankind. What, what am I? I don't have to wear this. What am I? I can't see. I'm all fogged up. Oh, that's better. I can see. There are people here. Uh, the fall. And then there's redemption. Uh, so things went terribly wrong, and then there was redemption, and then at the end there's the consummation of everything. And heaven is the culmination of the whole story of God, this, this grand uh, narrative. And, and it starts, though, with creation. Creation. And, and <clears throat> we can only understand heaven if we understand creation. So what was God's design in what he was doing? Well, God created the universe, the, the heavens and the earth. Um, he created inanimate and animate objects. Uh, there, there were stars and planets and, uh, and there are uh, plants and, and rocks and mountains and and all kinds of horticultural and animals, birds and fish and all of these things. And uh, the capstone of all of creation was God creating humankind in his own image and likeness. He created them to be in relationship with him. And uh, he created a beautiful garden to put them in. And uh, he gave them charge over the earth that they were to take dominion of the, the earth. They were, to, they were to run things on behalf of God here. And uh, on top of that, they were to work. They were to tend the garden. They were to, uh, it, it's sometimes called the dominion mandate, but it's, it's sometimes called the cultural mandate. So they're called to, to, to care for the earth and develop the earth. And, and a whole lot of things beyond that. That included like building and architecture and art and music and literature and medicine and culinary crafts and more. And God, God gave us the, the responsibility to create um, and, and to create all of these things and to be in relationship, a personal face-to-face -face relationship with humankind. And um, there was no sin. The relationships were amazing. There was no quarreling. There was no sickness. It was all beautiful and, and, and wonderful. It was perfect. And God saw his creative handiwork that he had made. And God deemed it is very good. Very good. Not just good, but very good. And God looked approvingly upon his creation. And... Uh, this creation reflected everything that God wanted of it. And it could have stayed that way forever, except for sin and rebellion. Everything changed. And that was the fall. 
the fall, and with the fall came the curse of God. So, so God instructed the man and the woman that they were not to eat of the tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the, the good of, of the tree of the uh, the good and evil. And uh, the the effect was when they, if they were to take that fruit and disobey God, <clears throat> that they would come under His judgment, and ultimately they would die. And so the relationship with God was severed at that moment. They used to walk with God in the cool of the day in the garden. They talked with him. Can you imagine that? And, and when they sinned, everything changed. And now they weren't looking for God. In fact, they were hiding for God, from God. And God is calling them, where are you? And, and they get put out of the, uh, I'll try and, and uh, be able to continue on here with my limited light you can hear. And so what happens is uh, a relationship with God was broken. The relationship between the husband and, and the wife are, is in, in bad state. They, they, there was such harmony between them, and now it's not. Now there's a battle. There's a battle for supremacy. There's a battle for who's going to be in control. There's a power struggle. And in the first family, they're in shambles. Now Cain is is murdering his brother Abel. And we see things just go downhill more and more from, from then on. And uh, there's sickness and disease, and the environment is affected. There are now, you know, tending the garden was a joy. It was easy. It was simple. But now the earth was filled with things like uh, weeds and, and uh, proliferating everywhere and there's animal predation killing each other tearing each other apart and there are dangerous weather patterns tsunamis and earthquakes and hurricanes and ultimately we would die every one of us would die and these represent the curse that came upon all uh, the the planet and came upon uh, all people and the next movement in this grand story was the redemption Cry, the people cried out in anguish, wanting relief from this curse that was on the earth uh, because of our rebellion. This curse that touched all of our life and our world was sadly, sadly and tragically broken. Well, that is representation of that. And, and with this redemption, we cried for help, for relief from our anguish. We needed to be healed. All creation needed to be healed. And, and so uh, we, we're crying out to God. In fact, it says in, uh, can you move me ahead, please? Uh, in Romans 8, it says this, the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. What's he talking about? The whole of creation is in trouble. There are problems with, with them. And, and, and he goes on to say, for the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be liberated from bondage to decay and brought in the glorious freedom of the children of God. He, he says, the creation is, is groaning. All of creation is groaning because it's sick, it's broken. Everything is not as it should be. And he says, not only that, but we ourselves, uh, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly 
as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And, and here he, he's saying, you know what it is to groan? You know what it is to groan when you're in pain and agony, when your heart is broken, when everything is going wrong? We, we groan. We say, God, help us. This is such a mess, our world, our life, our family. And, and, and God did something in that redemption. He began with Abraham, who, who from him would be uh, a seed of Abraham. There'd be an offspring that will bless all people, all nations. And we see the whole plan with Israel and beyond, and we come to Jesus Christ, Jesus who, who will give his life a ransom so he could redeem us, so he could redeem all of creation. It says in Colossians 1, 19 and 20, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that's in Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. He came to make it right, to redeem it, all of creation, all of that. And, and, and so that brings us then as Jesus does this through his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his resurrection, and, and his conquering death on our behalf. But the last chapter, the final chapter, is the consummation. And that's where we want to get to. We've gone through all of that other to get to this place where God is going to fix things. God is going to make it right. Well, what is heaven like then is the question. And he says this. Can you take it ahead, please? Um, he says this. It's no longer, he says, will there be any curse. The curse that has been, us, been upon us is not there. Well, what is heaven like? Well, first, you're going to find out that heaven is on earth. Heaven is on earth. Well, well what, are we talking about heaven or what are we talking about? See, heaven is where God dwells. But what he had for us is heaven would, uh, heaven would be on earth. And, and it would be called a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. Listen to what he says here. Revelation 21 uh, verses 1 and 2. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven for, from God, prepared as a beautiful, uh, beautifully dressed for her, a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Do you know, some of the songs we sing, we've got to watch the songs we sing because we, we really get our theology all messed up. Um, and we, we tried even in the in the heaven songs to try and make sure that there were ones that the theology was proper. Heaven is a place on earth. Heaven is on earth. Now we sing some dubious theology, and, and you'll know some of these. Um, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me. And, and what are we saying? I want to go to heaven. No, no, no. That's not where God has for you. God has for you, your heaven is the, the uh, new earth, the new heaven and the new earth. We don't go up to heaven. 
if you will, heaven comes down to us. This is what he says. I saw this, and there was no longer a sea, and the holy city, and it came down from heaven. The new Jerusalem came down from heaven. So earth, earth is the place where we're supposed to dwell. And if you go back to Genesis 1, that was always God's plan for us to live on a planet earth. To have physical bodies. We were talking about that the other week. God gives us physical bodies. We're supposed to have physical bodies. And, uh, and uh, so he comes down and, and we will forever be in a physical body. You know, Jesus will forever be in a physical body. Isn't that incredible? Um, and we are to be in that way. And uh, yet what happens is our bodies at this time, they wear out. They're not right. They get sick. They, they uh, degrade and, and we die. But we'll have new bodies just like Jesus. He promised that, that we'll have new bodies just like him. Well, where do we get some of this stuff? You might be surprised. Where we get some of this stuff is actually from Greek philosophy. And, and Plato would talk about the afterlife. And, and in, in the Greek philosophers found that the body is something that is an encumbrance for us. Like, it just it, it boxes us in. It puts some boundaries on us. We need to be free. It's, it's corruptible. It gets old and it dies. And, and, and we need to, to uh, free the body from bond, the, the person from bondage. Um, and, and we should, our true self is that spirit, soul in us. Well, that's not Christianity. Christianity, we were made to be um, physical beings. And, and, uh, and, and the wholeness uh, and our constitution. That's why Paul says when, uh, when he was talking in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he was talking about we don't want to be unclothed. We don't want to be naked. What's he talking about? We were meant to have a body. That's why we cling. Even we're old and, and, and we're, we're dying, but we're clinging to it. We're holding on for dear life because we want to keep our body. But he wants us to let go at that point and trade our body at the resurrection for something not uh, that is, is much different. Well, secondly, we will be with God and we will see his face. Look at Revelation 21.3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Let me go on to, to 21 in uh, uh, verse 7. He who overcomes will inherit all of this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son or daughter. And in chapter 23 of Revelation 3 and 4, the throne of God and of the Lamb uh, will be in the city and his servants will serve him. And listen to this. And they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. What it is where we go to this new heaven and this new earth, which is, which is really, you know, this is our eternal home. Um, that, that we were never allowed to see God. Certainly not to see God's faith, face. In Exodus chapter 3, uh, Moses says to God, uh, show me your glory. I want to see you. 
I want to see you in all your beauty and splendor and glory. I I want you to show yourself to me and and make, reveal yourself in that way. And in Exodus 33, 20, he says, but he says, you cannot see my face. No one can see me and live. You can look at God. But he says, I'm going to do something for you. You get into this rock, this cleft in the rock. You get in there. I'm going to put my hand over that to protect you. And and I'm I'm going to move by there. And after God had moved by, he took his hand away and he saw the trailing glory. And I mean, it it lit up his face. Um, And and in Timothy 6.16, it says this about God, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. You know what? One day, we're going to see God face to face. I can't, I can't even fathom that. We'll see Jesus, but we'll see God face to face on a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem that he has for us. Well, there's also, next, a new reality. And uh, in Revelation 21 and verse 4, it says, it says this, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making all things new. All the mess, all, all, everything that the curse brought, he's going to undo all of that and, uh, and there will be this new reality that we will live. We, we will live in a, a, a post-curse era. All the destruction, all the pain caused by the curse will be de- defeated, eradicated. All things will become new. And, and, and think about it. Everything that brought you to tears, every pain, standing at that at that graveside and watching the body of your loved one go into the earth. Think of of broken relationships. Think of physical pain. Everything that brought you tears. God himself is going to wipe your tears away. The devastation of death and mourning and crying and pain. Think of it. It's, It's incredible. It's unbelievable. No sickness, no disease, no pain, no medication. No dark moods, no no mental illness, no fear, no anxiety, no loneliness, no relational issues, no Alzheimer's, no poor self-image, no stealing, no evil, no abuse. All the deepest needs that you have will be met in God. It'll be unending joy and satisfaction and fulfillment and amazement. The deepest longings of your heart will be realized. And when you think it couldn't get any better, it just got better. The greatest thing will be to be with God and to be with Jesus. And in every sense, we will be home. We'll be at home. This, this, something will just feel this. This is where I belong. This is where I, uh, I should be. Now, there are three things that are not going to happen in this. Scripture tells us one of them is uh, there will not be marriage. See, that's kind of interesting. The, uh, the religious leaders were trying to 
uh, trick Jesus. And the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. And so they said to Jesus, well, Jesus, uh, tell me this, answer this little riddle for us. Um, if a guy gets married and his wife dies and he marries the, per the person's sister and she dies and he marries the next sister and she dies and, and he's got seven that, he, that have been his wife, um, which one will be his wife in the resurrection? Jesus said, don't you know, don't you understand? Uh, at the resurrection there will neither be marriage nor be giving in marriage and they'll be like the angels of heaven. Um, you say, well, why, why wouldn't we be married in heaven? Well, because some people, their spouses died or they had a, a broken relationship. And, and how do you keep all those things straight? So there's not going to be uh, marriage uh, in, in heaven. But also, you know, when, when you read the words about marriage in Ephesians chapter 5, it's interesting that talk about the husband and the wife together. And then, uh, then Jesus, uh, th then Paul says something kind of interesting uh, that he says, I'm really speaking to you about a mystery, Christ and his church. His bride is his church. And, and we all have this wonderful intimate relationship with Jesus. Uh, and we won't be in a married state. Well, we'll, we'll, know, we'll know everyone. We'll, we'll have the chance of that, but there won't be marriage. The second thing there won't be is there won't, the, the curse will still be on the serpent. On his belly he shall go, and even his judgment is seen uh, going on into the new heaven, new earth. And the third thing that won't be fixed will be the scars on Jesus' hands. That when we look at him, we'll be reminded of this incredible cost that was paid for our salvation. Well, what happens is there are no more sinners. And in verse 8, he goes through a whole list of people, vile, sinning people. And he said, they won't be a part of it. They'll be in, in the lake of fire. But there, there will be nothing for us from that way. And then he goes on and he talks about the new Jerusalem. And I, I'll, I just have to get you to, to read it on your own because it's a little too long. But he gives us this picture of the new Jerusalem. So coming down from heaven is a new heaven and a new earth. And on that new earth is coming down. Remember, we're not going up. It's coming to us. It's God's initiative. It's God, God's preparation for us. And um, we're going to go from a garden in paradise in Eden to a building, a new Jerusalem. And John was shown this building, and it was absolutely breathtaking. It is um, it, it's in the shape of a cube. It's as long as it is wide as it is high. And if you know from Old Testament, that should ring a bell for you, that there was a place in the tabernacle and in the temple called the Holy of Holies. That's where God was said to have dwelt in the Holy of Holies. It's interesting, when we, were, uh, when we uh, took our tour to Israel, uh, one of the things we did in, in the wilderness in the south of, of Israel was we were able to um, see a model of the tabernacle. Things were all, in other words, painted in gold, that, that which was in gold and, and all of the rest of those things. 
But this place that is so sacred that you couldn't enter into the presence of God, the, only the high priest could, and once a year on the, the, the Day of Atonement, and he would offer excuse me, a sacrifice for himself and, and for the people, and he would go in. And, and it, was, it was a frightful thing to go in, and you better make sure that your heart is ready to be in the presence of God. Well, in the new heavens and the new earth, there's a Jerusalem, and it's like 1,500 miles in length and width and 1,500 miles high. And, and he gives an, a, a description of it, of how incredible it's going to be. And he says uh, it's got a single, a single pearl is a door. Now, I don't know if this is reality or this is imagery that, that he's given to us, but it is so beyond our understanding um, that what we see is an interesting thing is there's no temple in the city. And he says, well, why? I'm going to tell you why there's no temple. Because God and the Lamb are its temple. The temple is where God is. And here is now this city, the New Jerusalem, that this is this monstrous city of 1,500 miles uh, long, wide, and high. And here is the Holy of Holies where you can see and be with God. It's now accessible. And what a, what a beautiful thing. On top of that, there's no need of sun or moon. It's superfluous. It's unnecessary. Why? Because God and the Lamb are its light. His presence there lights it. it, it it's interesting, not only that, but uh, when we go in here, uh, we see that the glory of, there's, excuse me, there's no more night. There's no night in this place. The presence and the light of God, there's no darkness at all. And there's an interesting thing. The glory of the nations will be brought in. Now, this is really interesting. The glory of the nations will be brought into the new Jerusalem. This is God's grace saving the nations, saving the people. And, and as they come, um, listen, we're going we're gonna to keep our ethnicity we're going to come in as various nations, different people groups, and we will come and we will worship and honor him with this ethnic diversity. And it's so hard for our mind to grasp that they will bring their glory into that. What does it mean? They're bringing their glory in. It means that they're bringing in who they are and what their cultural things, and they're presenting them before God. It'll be an incredible time, uh, the nations bringing that in. Well, then we have a picture of what I want to call the new Eden in chapter 22, the first five verses. And um, here's, what, here's what happens with the new Eden. Remember I said it's important for us to, to really understand what the Garden of Eden was and what God originally created. Because we're going to take that now, we're going to move from a garden, we're going to move into a city and, and see what God has in store for us in that. And in this, the, the angel showed John 
the river of the water of life. He sees flowing from the throne of God this crystal clear, beautiful water. Where do we see a river? Oh, it was in creation. It was in Genesis 2. Um, and, and not only that, um, this flows from the throne of God. It goes down the middle of the street of this city. On each side of the street is a tree of life. Where do we get the tree of life? Where, where's that from? Oh, in Genesis. There was a tree of life that sus sustained. And, and not only that, there was a tree of life on either side. And, and, you know, I know one of the songs, one of the songs we didn't sing it this morning, but we sing, and time will be no more, eternal, bright, you know, and fair. Well, there is time in the new heaven and the new earth because every month, now we have months, and every month there's, there's more fruit. There's always fruit. There's always fruit. And the tree of life will, will sustain them. And the leaves are for the healing of the nations who will be brought into the city. And, and there will no longer be any curse. No more curse. <laughs> That's what God has for us. And the throne of the Lamb will be in the city. And his servants will serve him. And they'll see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. And there'll be no more night. And they will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Who's going to reign forever and ever? You've sung that how many times, Colin? In, in, the, in the Messiah. And he shall reign forever and ever. King of kings, Lord of lords. Wow. Do you know as you go through the book of the Revelation, over and over, we're seeing that we're in a kingdom and we're priests. You have made us to be that. Isn't that incredible? There's something so astounding and so instructive in all of this. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Revelation 1, and you made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve God. And to him be glory and power forever. Amen. And in Revelation 20, blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. Those are the believers. The second death has no power over them. And they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Incredible. He has something for us to do to serve him, to work. And here we, we come from that. And, and uh, have you ever heard this statement? He's so, he's so heavenly minded that he's no earthly good. Have you heard that? Yeah? You should because you will hear it sometime. You know, somebody is so, I mean, they're so into heaven that they're, they do nothing on earth. They, you know, is, is that the case? Well, not really. Not really. There's a reason for our, for heaven while we're here on earth. And, and it's not the kind of thing that will make us um, no earthly good. In fact, it'll give us a reason for being earthly and good. Um, 
when we see, when we see all of that, we, we are taken, we are so taken by it. John Lennon wrote a song called Imagine. Here's what the first verse says. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. I mean, we can get into this rut where we're living for today. Everything is about today. What do we want to think about heaven for? there's There's no benefit to that. I mean, that's pie in the sky. Forget that. But that's not the case. The case is that God rewards good, that there is meaning to the future, that, that when we live this life to honor and, and, and lift up and, and exalt Jesus Christ, and, and when we live to help others and to do that, God rewards that stuff in the life to come as well. We're even called to be concerned about ecology. Why? Because the earth that God made in a physical universe was for us to take care of. Because the physical world, unlike the Greek philosophers, this is more important, should be for us to care for the earth because it's God's earth. And he declared it to be good and it's our task to care for it in this dominion mandate. And that has never been rescinded. So we've got all kinds of good things to do, to live, and God will bless and honor that. And the other thing is there's a reason to patiently endure. We need, I think, sometimes a really fruitful imagination. We need to sit and read this stuff as, as wild as it is and to just let your mind go go wild. Listen to what the images are. See them in your mind and and see um, and and think about that. In fact, we're called to reckon or to consider or to think or to chew on some of these things. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said um, in 2 Corinthians. Let Let me say first, the whole book of the Revelation is written to seven churches in Asia Minor. Those of you who were on our tour of Asia Minor, we went to the the churches of Asia Minor. And some of those churches that Jesus writes to were in a terrible, terrible time. They were losing their jobs. They They were persecuted. They were even, they were beaten. They were even killed for their faith. How do you, how do you keep going? How do you stay on track? Over and over in the book we hear, patiently endure. You need to patiently endure. All the stuff that Satan is doing and bringing it all, he said, that, that's not, that's not going to be there. Just patiently endure. Listen to 2 Corinthians uh, 4, 16 to 18. The Apostle Paul is talking about all the stuff he's been through, all of the beatings and the imprisonments and all these things. And he says, well, we don't lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away. Yet inwardly, we're renewed day by day. Listen to this. All the stuff that he had to endure. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us. Are you ready? An eternal weight of glory that outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on what is not seen. 
is what we don't, excuse me, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporal, and what is unseen is eternal. Don't give up. Have this image of heaven and the, and the, 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 the victory that Jesus has over everything. The Apostle Paul would put it this way in Romans 8, 18. I consider that the sufferings of our present age are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will revealed, be revealed in us. He says, you know, when I think about heaven, when I, when I do the math and I think all the, the stuff that's happened to me and the terrible things, um, I, I think when I compare that to what is in here and what is mine for the future, it's, it's, uh, it's light, it's momentary, um, these present sufferings, they, they mean nothing compared to what is unseen and what we see by the eyes of faith. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. Hang in there. This isn't just some pie-in-the-sky thing. This is something you anchor your life to, and it'll be worth it all when we see Jesus. thought. What is it going to be like? What is it going to be like? This place that's so stunningly beautiful, the things that will be so good, and to let your imagination go on. It will blow your mind. It'll be more than you can take in. But I want to challenge you just to think for a moment with the songwriter who asks that question himself who's thinking about all of that himself, whose dad died, and he wondered what his dad, who became a Christian, is, is, is doing, what, it, what it's like for him. The song is called, I Can Only Imagine.